So um, I want to uh, just jump in. We are uh, in the series called More, and we're talking about the more of our, our faith walk with God. And, um, and uh, I'm trying to get a couple thoughts here together in my head, so just bear with me. Um, when, when I uh, was like seven, like most of you guys know this already, um, but when I was like, well, actually I was like six, uh, when my parents started going to church, and um, pretty miraculous testimony that was, and so some of the things that happen in our church, like when people are speaking in tongues or waving flags or wandering around the room or, um, you know, yelling or laughing or whatever is in your hands. Uh, for some people, that's kind of weird and that's kind of different, but I like, I just grew up in that, so I have not really known anything different than that. And and not that worship that's not like that is not good and that God doesn't love it, but um, it's just... I, I love the expression of worship. I love the expression of our faith. Amen. Because that's what God is. Um, if he put it in you, it's got to come out of you somehow. And so I was raised, um, I was raised Pentecostal, and I'm not, I'm not at all ashamed of that. In fact, I'm, I'm, in a godly way, I guess I'm kind of proud of that. Um, and so when I was raised, I was raised with people being baptized in, with the Holy Spirit. And that was just a normal thing that happened. It wasn't like... Um, it wasn't like this big production, really, other than people praying. It was just like you get saved and you get baptized, or you get saved, you get filled with the Holy Spirit, then you get baptized, depending on the order that you went in. And, and you get baptized with the Holy Spirit and, and uh, you know, everything that goes with that, and then, and then you live a victorious life, even though you're fighting battles and you have your ups and your downs, that you're filled with the Holy Spirit, and he, he just leads you and he helps you. And, and that's pretty awesome. And so... Uh, to, to tag on to that, when I was studying for my credentials, again, a lot of you guys already know this, but I'm just laying a foundation here. When I was studying to get my credentials with the Church of God, I, um, and, and I want to say a couple things about the Church of God this morning, but I don't want it to come across like I think we're the only denomination or anything. You know I'm not like that. Um, but there's just some things about our, our what we believe that I want to bring out this morning. And, and so I read this book called Like a Mighty Army. And, and if you've not read the book, um, I would encourage you to read at least the first three quarters of it. Um, because it goes back and to the very beginning of our of our denomination, and how again it, it's not about the denomination; it's about the power of God, right? So, before we had a denomination, before there was any Church of God, there was just a bunch of people meeting in a schoolhouse, um, and in a in a couple different places over the course of time, and they they weren't they weren't trying to be anything, nor were they trying to really do anything other than to follow God. And, and interestingly enough, a lot of them weren't even really um, highly educated. Um, and so they would just get together and they would just have somebody read the word because some of them couldn't even read. And, and they'd read the word and they would, they'd preach and they'd pray and they'd do all of these things. And, and, and all of a sudden, there was just this group and they, they were kind of a few Baptists and some Methodists, right? And they, they kind of came together and I'm, I'm nutshelling a whole big thing here, okay? But they came together and they were just praying and they weren't praying for any baptism of the Holy Spirit or anything like that. They were just praying and seeking God. And in the midst of their praying and seeking God, the Holy Spirit fell on them and just, just started just blasting them. And they didn't even know what was happening, which is the coolest part to me is that when, when the Holy, Holy Spirit first fell and, and what began 
uh, the church of God. Again, it's not about the denomination. It's about the move of God. When, when the Holy Spirit first started falling, they didn't really even know what it was. And so they would get filled with the Holy Spirit, and a lot of them started speaking in tongues and whatnot, and they didn't even know what that was either. And so they would have these circuit-riding preachers come around, and, and some circuit-riding preachers would come around, and they'd be like, okay, here's what's happening. And, and they would be, well, you know, it's in, the, it's, it's in the Bible there. You know, this fill with the Spirit thing, it's in the Bible there, so we, we think it's good. We think it's real. But the crazy thing about that is that kind of, and I say this with the utmost respect. I don't want it to sound like it's degrading or anything, but, but honestly, the truth of the matter is it's kind of a, a bunch of backwoods hillbillies in the beginning that just got blasted by God, which has now spun into a thing that's all the way around the world. Like, our denomination is all the way around the world. And, and again, please, I'm going to keep saying this because I'm not trying to preach the church of God to you this morning. I'm trying to preach the move of God. Amen? Because the move of God is much bigger than the church of God. Amen? But what I want to point out here is that what, when, when the Holy Spirit fell, they weren't seeking any certain thing. They were just seeking God. And, and then the spirit fell, and all of a sudden, like, things started rolling in. And all of a sudden, they're, they're ha- because the ones that were running the show in the beginning, there was really only one or two that really was super educated. And, and then God just used people who sought him and said, God, whatever it is that you want, we want that. Whatever it is you say, we'll say. Whatever it is you want us to do, we'll do. And then God blesses that, and God pours the spirit out on that. Amen? And so I've just been raised in that my whole life since I was six years old. And, and so I know that some of the things I'm talking about uh, in this message series for some people that might be listening or even some in the room possibly will seem unordinary or weird or different. But I assure you that everything I'm telling you is extremely scriptural and it's exactly what God wants. And, and so what he wants for us is to just seek God like they did back in the beginning just seek God all the way back even to Pentecost. They, when they went to Jerusalem, when the Holy Spirit fell, and we'll look at that in just a moment, when the Holy Spirit fell, they didn't know what they were looking for, right? They didn't know. They just knew that Jesus said, go over there to Jerusalem and wait. You guys here with me today? He said, go to there to Jerusalem and wait for the promise of the Father. And they're like, okay, well, we know the promise of the Father is the Holy Spirit. What that's going to look like, how that's going to sound, when it's going to fall, any of that, we don't know. But we're just going to go and we're going to pray and we're going to worship and we're going to be in the word and we're going to study and we're just going to wait and see what God's seeking God. And we're seeking his empowerment. Okay? And so that, that's something that, that, that I feel like, you know, this week and next week I'm going to be wrapping up this particular teaching, and then we're going to go into a series on prayer, which I shared with you a couple weeks ago. I'm, I'm very, I'm very uh, amped up, stoked up about that because that's going to be awesome. I feel like that series that's coming up in a couple weeks here or so is, is going to take us to a whole different level. Of, of where we're at in our prayer and our intercession and the worship. I really feel like that. I don't, I don't, you know I don't say that stuff unless I believe it. And so I do. I believe that's going to happen. But, but what I know is that we, we can't go into that until we understand this. And I feel like that's why God paused me when I was getting ready to do that and said, do this first again and then come back around to that. Because I think that, that this empowering of the Spirit, we need this fresh in our church. We need it fresh in our lives. If you've had the infilling of the Spirit before, you got to get it again. And if you've not had it before, you got to seek it till you get it. Okay? And how long will that take? Well, I know it's by faith you just receive it, but sometimes it takes a little while to work it all out. But none of that matters. None of that matters. Okay? Uh, I, I, 
one of the things when I grew up in the church is a lot, of, a lot of times, especially when I was younger, they teach about the baptism and speaking in tongues and manifestations and empowerment and all these different things. And it was like all mystical to me, and I didn't really get it. And, and when, I, when I started in ministry, I'm like, I hope that maybe I can demystify some things a little bit and just make it where we can be like, oh, okay, I get that. And really, it's like, how long does it take to get it? It might take you a second. It might take you a week. It might take you a month. It doesn't matter. Because you're seeking God. All right, am I going to speak in tongues or am I not going to speak in tongues? Don't worry about that. Because you're not going after tongues, you're going after God. And you're waiting for him to do in you what he wants to do. Now, there are some things that will probably happen along the way. Don't worry about it. Just let it happen. Because when God comes in that way and he empowers you, then all of a sudden things in your life begin to change. You know, every single week we talk about chains falling off and our past and our addictions and I give you all my depression. But there's a lot of people in the church still walking around with all that stuff. When you get the Holy Spirit rocking around in your life a little bit, then all of a sudden that stuff really does start falling off. It's not just a song we sing. It's a thing that we're walking in and walking out of. Amen. And so we, we need this in our lives. And so, um, I, okay, let me, let me get to the message. All right. So the bottom line of this whole thing is this then. Uh, a fulfilled commission flows from a spirit-filled Christian. If we want to get to the place where our lives are lining up with what God wants for us and we are reaching out and doing what God wants us to do, then we need this uh, filling of the Holy Spirit. Okay, and, and uh, just real quickly in, in uh, review, we've been talking about Mark chapter 16 where Jesus said, go preach the gospel to the whole world, cast out devils, speak in new tongues, lay hands on the sick and they will recover. You know that he still wants us to do that stuff. Right? Oh, no, let me tell you, this 1 Corinthians 13 said that doesn't happen anymore. Wrong, 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 wrong. It never went away. It's not going to go away until Jesus comes back. And then it's not going to go away then either because he's going to be here doing the very same thing. Right? And so what we have to understand is that Jesus said to the disciples, he said, you need to go and wait for the promise of the Father. So in Mark 16, when he tells them to go into all the world, it wasn't just that they just went out. They had to go and wait to be filled with the Holy Spirit. So they go to Jerusalem, and they wait in the upper room, and they pray, and they seek. They don't, again, they don't know what they're waiting for. They don't know what it's going to look like. All they know is that Jesus said, wait until the thing comes. Okay? How are we going to know when it comes? You'll just know. Just go wait. Okay? And so then the Holy Spirit came, and the same ones that were fearful and denied Jesus and ran away from Jesus and were hiding in a room here and hiding in a room there, all of a sudden have all of this boldness that rises up in them. Peter preaches a message. 3,000 people get saved on the first day. And he doesn't care what anybody thinks. 15 minutes ago, he was hiding in a room somewhere. And 15 minutes later, he's preaching and doesn't care what anybody thinks. And 3,000 people get saved. Right, right after this happens, they walk up to the temple, and the guy says, hey, give me some money. He said, I don't have any money, but I can heal you. In the name of Jesus, get up and walk. Everything changed when the baptism of the Holy Spirit fell on them on the day of Pentecost. And I want to tell you again that that same empowerment that came back then is what he wants for us right now. If you don't get anything else I say out of this, I want to keep driving that home because I feel like many times we're living beneath the level of faith and experience that he wants us to. Because we, 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 and I'll talk about this in just a second, we theologize the power of God out of our lives so that we can just kind of roll through life and be like, all right, I live for Jesus. I never did anything for Jesus, but I lived for him. 
Nothing ever happened in my life. I still am fighting the same battles I fought for the 50 years of my life or 60 years of my life. And then I died. Then I went to heaven. So that's good. But I want you to know that God wants to empower you for today, for the life that you're living right now. He wants to empower you for that. Amen? So I got one amen. Hopefully it will be three by the end of it. So check this out. Why does he empower us? Because this is a question. And, and I, I think I'm going to be short this morning. I think because I've only got one thing I want to say today. There, there's, three, there's three reasons that we get empowered. There's three reasons that we get empowered, okay? But I'm only going to talk about one of them today, and we'll get two next week. Because th- this one that I want to talk about today is the most important one. Because the other two that I'll share with you next week are what God does in us so that this one will work. Does that make sense? So this is the most important one. And then those others that we'll talk about next week are support for this one. So that's why I want to take all of today and just talk about this. But if you happen to be in your notes, what is the purpose of our empowerment? Because oftentimes we we get in the church and we think the purpose of empowerment is so we can sing exciting songs, so we can run around the room, so that we can fall on the floor, so that we can pray in tongues, so that we can get a prophetic word, so that we can do all of these things. And all of, there's, there's nothing wrong with those things. All those things can be very, very good, but that's not the point. It's not the point. What is the point of the empowerment? And so if you're in your notes there, we're empowered for three things. We're empowered to share, we're empowered to hear, and we're empowered for prayer. Amen? You guys here today? We're empowered to share, we're empowered to hear, and we're empowered for prayer. And so I just want to talk today about being empowered to share because the overarching purpose of the empowerment of God, the baptism of the Holy Spirit, is that we would be a witness. Okay, that we would be a witness. Now, th- this wasn't in my notes until five minutes before I walked out here, but I just want to say this real quick. There's two ways that we become a witness. And I realized in my notes I was falling short because there's two things and it would be confusing. So just hold on to this, okay? There's two ways for us to be a witness. We witness through our words and we witness through our actions. We witness through our words and we witness through our actions. The baptism of the Holy Spirit is intended to empower us to witness in both of those ways. Okay? And so you remember this. And I'm going to go over a lot of verses we've already talked about last week. But I want to hit them at a different angle this week. So in Acts chapter 1 verse 8... He said, you shall receive, everybody say, I'll receive it. You shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Now, notice there he says, you're going to get power, but the power is for the purpose of being a witness. And that witness is going to be in your words, and it's going to be in your actions. Okay, you will witness by what you do, and you're going to witness by what you say. Oftentimes, we think this is where this is where Pentecostals get ourselves in trouble, because sometimes Pentecostals we have a a penchant. Uh, You can be Baptist and not have this too, but Pentecostals are really good at this, because the Church of God we came out of a holiness movement, and sometimes we get filled with the Holy Spirit, and we're so Holy Spirit filled that we're angry at everybody, and everybody thinks we hate them. And so we're all like, I'm baptized by the Holy Spirit to be a witness. But then we just hate on everybody all the time. Or it looks like we're angry with everybody all the time. If you don't wear the right, right length dress or you don't have the right color hair or the right length of hair or, or you have a tattoo or you don't have a tattoo or you have an earring or not an earring or you go bowling or you don't go bowling. 
And people look at that, and we say, come to Jesus, and you'll find the joy of the Lord. It's like, I don't see any joy in you. All I see is anger and, and legalism and, and, and stress, and, and you don't love anybody. I can go to the bar and get loved on more than I can get loved when I come into the church. See, we witness through our actions as much or even more than we witness with our words. Because we can say all the right words, but act like jerks. And then our witness doesn't mean anything. So the baptism in the Holy Spirit, watch this. The baptism of the Holy Spirit is supposed to birth some fruit in you. In Galatians 5, it says that the fruit of the Spirit is love and joy and peace. See, we think it's about speaking in tongues and falling on the floor. Right? We think it's about slapping oil and, and rolling around, and we think it's about all this stuff. But it says if you've got the Holy Spirit in you, what's going to come out of you is love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control. Against such there is no law. So while we're being legalistic and trying to throw the law on everybody, when you get baptized in the Holy Spirit, you don't need the law anymore because the fruit is just coming out of you. So nobody needs to tell you to love because you're already loving. Nobody tells you you need to have self-control because you're walking in self-control because you've got the Spirit inside of you and the Spirit is bearing fruit out of you. We can't separate those things, right? And so... We, we, we witness through our actions, and we witness through our words, and our actions need to come first, okay? And so we are empowered to share. So Jesus says in Acts 1.8, he says, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be a witness, okay? Now, that word power, I'm not going to go back to that again, but that power word dunamis means some pretty cool things, and again, I don't want this to be, I don't have this up there, but I don't want this to be one of those things where it's like, okay, I've heard this before. No, really, let's really tack in this morning. The only, the only way this morning that I want you to say I've heard this before is if you've got this power fully manifesting through your life. If you don't yet quite have this power, like me, if you don't quite yet have all of this power manifesting through your life, then please hear me again, okay? The, this power, and I don't have it up there, but it means the power Ability, power for performing miracles, moral power and excellence of soul, which I really love. When, growing up, very often there was such a focus on the ability to perform miracles. They didn't really focus me in too much on the moral power and excellence of soul. And so I'm trying to do miracles, but I'm struggling in my own life with my own lusts and my own flesh and my own sin. Or is that just me? It's, it's the miracles. It's the laying hands on the sick. It's the prophesying. And I'm over here going, I'm just trying not to sin today. I'm just over here trying to stay out of my lust today. It'd be good to have a miracle, but it would be good if I wasn't angry with my wife today. Or is that just me? That dunamis word is moral power and excellence of soul. We also get the power to live the life that he wants us to live. It's good news. He's not put us out there on a limb, and he's got a chainsaw chopping the limb off going, I hope you can figure this out before the limb breaks. He's saying I, when you get this infilling of the Holy Spirit, when you really get that on the inside of you, it's going to give you, that doesn't mean you're not going to be tempted. Amen? Anybody? It doesn't mean you're not going to be tempted. It doesn't mean that you're not going to go through a trial or tribulation. But it does mean in the midst of that temptation that God will show you. The Spirit will go, hey, go that way. You'll get out of this. Go that way. 
In whatever way you are tempted, God will make a way of escape for you. The, the way that we walk that way of escape is with the Holy Spirit inside of us going, go that way. Go that way. Amen? So it's the moral power and the excellence of soul, as well as the performing miracles. It's the power of riches and wealth. Now, that one tweaks me a little bit, too, because it doesn't say we'll get riches and wealth. Because you can go to some churches, and they'll be like, God's just going to give you a billion dollars, and you buy a new car, buy a new house, whatever you want with it. That's what the gospel is. It's like, no, that's not what the gospel is. Because the Holy Spirit, if he wants to, can give you the influence of having money, even if you don't have it. I, I was thinking the other day, um, I, you, you know, take it for what it is. I'm not trying to be overly dramatic, but Mark Zuckerberg is kind of a schmuck. I mean, he is. I mean, for somebody that has created something that is so big, he, he doesn't always have things together up in his head. Bill Gates is the same way. I don't mean this to disparage them because they're obviously in certain ways they're very brilliant. Okay? How do I say this? Hopefully you guys will know what I'm saying because I want to make a real point with it. You can be brilliant in certain ways and be an absolute idiot in every other way. Okay? And, and I know, and, and before we just go, yeah, those guys, us too. Because we can be really good at certain things, and in other things, like, I feel like I'm okay at, at preaching and teaching and breaking down the word and that kind of thing. Put me in front of an engine in a car, and I'm an absolute doofus. What's a spark plug? Right? But the thing that happens with someone like Bill Gates or Mark Zuckerberg is they get a whole bunch of money, and all of a sudden, everybody looks to them as if they're the most brilliant person on the planet. What is Bill Gates doing telling us about vaccines? What does Bill, now, this is not about the vaccine, okay? It's not about the vaccine. If you want to get the vaccine, get the vaccine. This is not what this is about. What I'm trying to say is, why is he telling us about vaccines when his expertise is not medical? It's technological. But when you get money, everybody looks to you as if you're the be-all, the end-all. Anybody. And so what do we create a culture of? Go out and try to get all the money you can because with that money comes influence and power, right? It just does. If you've got a million dollars in the bank, you will automatically have more. In, I promise you, in, in, in government, in politics, in whatever, even oftentimes, sadly, in the church, if you've got a million dollars in the bank, all of a sudden you've got more influence than all us poor people. But the Word of God says when you get the Holy Spirit inside of you, He'll just give you that influence. You cannot have a dollar in your pocket but have the same influence as Bill Gates if He wants you to. The same influence as Mark Zuckerberg or Jeff Bezos. Why is Jeff Bezos telling me anything? He created, he created a place where you could buy stuff. Why would I listen to him for anything else? He's really, really good at that. I don't know if he's really good at any. I'm not going to take any... Spiritual advice from him, certainly. Right? But the word of God, that word dunamis, means that you can have the power of those riches and those wealth even if you've got nothing in your pocket. Check this out. How did the, how did the disciples begin to gain some of that influence where they were at? Peter and John are walking to the temple one day, and he said, hey, give me some money. Give me some money. He said, silver and gold I do not have. Catch what I'm saying here, church. 
Silver and gold I do not have, but what I do have I give you. In the name of Jesus, get up and walk. When that guy got up and walked, they became the center of everything in that city. They became the center of the city. They became the center of attention. They became the center of the, the religious folks of the day. They got everybody's attention, and they didn't have a dollar in their pocket because of the Holy Spirit inside of them. Power arising from numbers. Power resting upon armies or forces or a host. Do you know that God can put the power of armies inside of you? Only one person got that. Hopefully 10 by the end of the message today. How many are in here? 20. He can put the power of armies inside you. How often we just sing these songs? I'm going to take up my weapon, take up my sling, sling my rock, and then we go, that was a nice song. That was a nice. That was great. Now listen, the Holy Spirit can put the power of armies inside of you. One could put a thousand to flight. Two can put ten thousand to flight. That's who we are. That's what we do. Unless we're not living in the power of the Holy Spirit, Amen. So He says, "I'm giving you this power to do all of these things. All of these things: the power of wealth, the power to live the right life, the power of armies, the power of numbers, the power to perform miracles. I'm going to put that in you." but I'm putting it in you for one very specific reason. So that you will be a witness. So that you will tell people about me. So that you will tell people that I died and that I rose again. And that if they'll trust in me, then they can be saved too. Now that's a ridiculous proposition. I want you to think about this practically today, okay? How logical is it to say, you should give your life over to a man that lived 2,000 years ago. He died and he rose again. I can't prove it to you other than the word of God said so. But I know it's true and you need to believe it and you need to put your whole life around that. See, we'll look at people like, you know, that, that are in other religions, Islam or Buddhism or Hinduism, say those people are crazy. I mean, I shared with you one time I was thinking about the Hare Krishnas because they got the weird hair, the bald with the hair. And, which is fine if you want your hair cut like that. But, but I heard one time that the reason they do that is because they have a belief that Harry Krishna is going to come by one day and he's going to snatch them by their hair and he's going to take them into paradise. And when I heard that, I was like, that's the stupidest thing I've ever heard. How could anybody believe that? And then I read 1 Thessalonians 4 where it says, one day there's going to be a sound of a trumpet and then all of a sudden we're going to be snatched up out of here. And I went, oh, wow, I guess they don't have it right. They've got the wrong belief about how that's going to happen, but we kind of believe that too. He's not going to snatch me by my hair, thankfully. I was talking to David this morning. It's falling out, so I'm glad. He says, I want you to go and I want you to preach this message, and then I'm going to back you up with my power so that they will know that the message you preach is true. So my question, really, I have questions when I preach this stuff. Why would we, why would we say that, that, doesn't, that that's not for today anymore? Do we not think that God wants to back up his word with power? That he did it 2,000 years ago, but he doesn't want to do it today? Of course he does. Because it's not about us. If it was about me, I could see why he would not want that power to be resting on me. If I'm going to try to power myself to a new car or empower myself to a new house, power myself to a big church. But the power is not for me. The power is for him. 
You guys know what I'm saying? Why would God not empower his own message? God says, I want you to take the gospel to all the nations of the world. Now you go out and you figure it out by yourself. You go tell everybody to follow a guy that died 2,000 years ago. And supposedly he rose again. And we can't prove it except for the book that says it. You go out there and you get the whole world to convert to that. Why, why would God do that? He has not changed. He says, I want you to walk in the same kind of power, and I want you to be a witness. Now, that word witness there is an interesting word. I do think I have this on the notes. Witness is a witness in three different senses. It's a witness in a legal sense, as like when you go to court, or a historical sense. This one I just want to take one moment on because a lot of times we're like, well, I can't really share my faith or anything because I don't know the word enough or I can't say the right scriptures or any of those kind of things. If you're going to be a witness for Jesus, you just have to say what, what you saw, what you experienced, right? How many of you in this room has God touched and changed your life? Anybody just put, you can put your hand back up. Okay, all of you. Can you witness to that? Do you know Romans 3.23, Romans 6.23, Romans 8.28, Acts 3.19, Revelation 5, verse 4? Can you pop all those off the top of your head? Oh, I don't know all those. I couldn't be a witness. If God has changed your life, all you have to do is go out and say, this is what God did for me. Because everybody can argue with the Scripture. You can argue with the Bible. You can argue with translations, but you cannot argue with my testimony. This is where I was, and this is what God did, and nothing you can say is going to change that. I, I like when, when the blind man was healed in the book of Acts. They brought him in, and they're like, tell us that you didn't get healed. He's like, hey, I, man, I don't know. Or he said, tell us that he's just a man, right? He's like, I don't know if he's just a man or not. I have no idea. But what I do know is I was blind, but now I see. You can't argue with that. This is what God did. Back in 1976, a meter maid met my mom and my alcoholic dad comes to church. My alcoholic dad gets delivered. I've been in church my whole life, most, most of the time, except when I'm an idiot. Brings me up, leads me, guides me. I fall in a ditch. He picks me up again. I, I do stupid things. He picks me up again. Then he puts me in a pulpit and says, I want you to preach. God did that. I tell you, I'm not smart enough for any of that to happen. Anybody? I can't share that. You've, you've mostly all heard it, but you know what? Well, if not for a meter mate, I would not be standing here right now. Probably. 1976, a meter mate tells my grandma, Jesus loves you. I'm preaching to you today. Because of a meter maid. God did that. I can't make that happen. I once was in prison, but now I'm free. I once was an addict, but now I'm free. I once was caught up in my lusts, but now I'm free. I once was full of sin, but now I'm full of righteousness. I once was on my way to hell, but now I'm on my way to heaven. It's good stuff. You can't argue with that. Well, I don't know about John chapter 3, verse 16, because in the Greek, the word for God is blah, 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 blah. Listen, argue with that all you want. You can't argue with what God has done in my life. When I was probably 12, 13 years old, my mom had a tumor in her brain. They saw it. They had it. They had it on the pictures. It was there. They took more pictures. It was there. They called the church, and the church prayed. They did it again, and it wasn't there anymore. You can't argue with that. 
You can't argue with it. I don't believe that happened. Well, you're an idiot because I know it happened. Because why would I make that up? He wants us to be a witness. That witness then, then in the last sense means that we would lay down our lives because it says after his example have proved the strength and genuineness of their faith in Christ by undergoing a violent death. Now, we probably are not going to necessarily undergo a violent death. You never know the way things are going today, but talking about martyrs, it's where we get the word martyr from. But we may not undergo that kind of martyrdom, but we have to martyrdom ourselves and lay our lives down for Christ every day. Amen? Why? So that we can be a witness. See, now here, here's, the, here's, the, here's the thing. There are Christians all over the place. There is no doubt whatsoever that they are saved and that they are on their way to heaven. Because salvation comes by faith in God. Amen? For by grace you have been saved through faith. It's not of works, lest any man should boast. Amen? They're saved and they're on their way to heaven. But they're saved and they're weak. They're saved and still stuck in their sin. Saved and still stuck in the past. Saved but want to witness but have no power because fear overwhelms them all the time. Every time they want to do something for God or say something for God, fear just overwhelms them. Are they going to heaven? Yes. But there's no power. No power. Now that's good news. I got, I got two amens on that one. We're doing good now. Because you're like, how is that possibly good news? Because if you've been there or you've experienced that in your life, you can know this. You're right on the same level as all the apostles. I don't think anybody heard me there. If you are saved but fearful, you're just like Peter. If you're saved and you don't know what to do with your life, you're just like James. If you're trying to figure it out, but you haven't quite figured it out yet, you're just like John. If you got a temper problem, you're just like James and John. They wanted to call fire down on the city and destroy everybody. If, if you are saved, but you struggle in some area of your life, that's good news because you're on the same level as the disciples. And you can know that the same thing that transformed the disciples can also transform you as well. Because God, God is not a respecter of persons. He didn't say, we'll give this to you special ones and then we won't give it to anybody else. That's the way the Old Testament worked. When Jesus came on the scene, he said, it's for everybody. That's the promise of the Father from Joel chapter 2. I'll pour out my spirit on all flesh. I'll pour out my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams on your men's servants and your maid servants. I will pour out my spirit in those days. That's good news. That's a promise for me. Amen? And so I can have that same thing in my life right now. I can have that same thing in my life today. I can seek after that same thing. But listen, th this keeps boiling back to, boiling back to don't seek the empowerment. Seek the Holy Spirit. Seek God. Because it's not going to come say, God, power me, empower me, empower me, empower me, empower me. You don't get it that way. You get it by saying, God, just fill me up because I just want you. I just want to spend time with you. I want to be with you. I want to pray. I want to be in your word. I want to seek you and everything that you have for me I want. Then God will just begin to pour himself into you. 
Once you start going, give me this, give me this, give me this, I want this thing and this thing and this thing, all of a sudden you shut up the dam. But when you say, God, I just want you and that's all I want, just fill me up with you, then all of a sudden God begins to move in your life. Amen? And so we have to understand that if you're saved and struggling, that there is empowerment for you. You might say, well, I was already filled with the Holy Spirit and I'm still struggling. Still good news. You can get filled up again. It's okay. In fact, you're supposed to. Because we think if we got filled 42 years ago, that that same empowerment we got back then is going to be the same today. And then we struggle along and it's like, no, just get it again. Gluttony is a sin unless you're seeking God. Be gluttonous for God. God, I want you to fill me again. I need you again. I want to be with you again. I need more of you again. Just fill me, God. I just want to be with you again. Over and over and over and over and over and over. Until you walk into the victory that is already yours. Because we're not, remember, we're not fighting for a victory. We're fighting from a victory. And our victory is on the other side of the baptism. Amen? So let me say this, and i got to roll through this kind of quickly, but what did it look like then when the Holy Spirit came? What did it look like? Now, we're going to go back to the book of Acts here because a lot of what I would say up until this point, I realize is not super controversial. It's like we get saved, the Holy Spirit leads us, and the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit will use us to help reach other people. I mean, that's pretty common against most evangelicals or whatever, right? Nobody gets too tweaked about that. But, but here, when you actually look like what it looked like when the Holy Spirit came, then everybody goes, <gasps> oh, no. Watch this. I, I, I want to read, I'm going to read a little bit of, I'm not going to take a lot of time now, but I'm going to read a good chunk of scripture here because, again, I don't want to tell you, I want to show you, and you make your own decisions based on what you see. Amen? Because I want to try to shove something down your throat. You make your decisions based on what you see. I'm just going to give you the word here. Okay, so what happened when the Holy Spirit came? Acts chapter 2, verses 1 to 4, it says, When the day of Pentecost had fully come, they were all with one accord in one place. Unity is very important, church. And suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind. It filled the whole house where they were sitting. Then there appeared to them divided tongues as of fire, and one sat upon each of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit, and they began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them the utterance. Okay, so I want to just... Briefly here for a minute, I don't want us to focus on the wind and the fire, okay? Because there's a commonality in the verses that I'm going to give you, and the commonality is not the wind or the fire. And we can pray for the wind and pray for the fire and sing about that, and that's awesome. As long as we know what that means, right, we have to understand the commonalities of what happened when the Holy Spirit came. And so what do we see there? Because in the other the other scriptures that I want to read to you, there's no wind and there's no fire. So we in the church, though, we see something and then we want to do it just like that. It's got to be like that or it's not anything, right? But what are the commonalities? In verse 3, it says, there appeared to them divided tongues as a fire, one set upon each of them, and they were filled with the Holy Spirit. They began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them the utterance. If you would just bump down to verse 11 there, they knew that the Holy Spirit had came because they said, we hear them speaking in our own tongues the wonderful works of God. Okay? In some translations, it might say they prophesied. They, were, they spoke in tongues and they prophesied. Okay? Nevertheless, the word prophecy, oftentimes we, we, connot, we have a connotation of prophecy. You guys okay? Because I'm almost done. I'm going to give you something. There's a connotation of prophecy where it means God's just going to tell me something about your future. 
God gives me a prophetic word for Josh, and it's like, Josh, you're going to go to Africa, and you're going to uh, Zimbabwe, and you're going to minister to this group of people. And we say that that's prophecy. But what we forget is that that is prophecy. But any time that the word of God is proclaimed, it is prophecy from a biblical definition. Anybody? Because we think I can't be prophetic. I don't have a gift of prophecy or I don't have any of that stuff. And it's like it's, it's not true, actually. Anybody can prophesy because if you declare the word of God, that is prophetic. It is prophetic. Okay? So prophecy is forthtelling. I have a word of wisdom that God's going to do this somewhere. Or it's the word of God says, repent and believe in Jesus and you will be saved. That's just as prophetic as, as some prophet coming to town and giving you a word. Amen? We don't think it is, but it is. So I'm just going to go ahead and stand on that truth. Because every time I get up to teach, every time David gets up to teach or Josh gets up to teach or, or you're sitting around a table at a discipleship group and you're chewing up the word of God, there's a prophetic spirit going on there. Because we're declaring the wonderful works of God. Amen? It's not so much about the manifestation of what was going on. It's what happened that is important. When the Holy Spirit fell, they spoke with other tongues and they spoke the wonderful words of God, or they prophesied. Now, uh, in verse 11 there again, it says, they knew something happened because they spoke in other tongues about the wonderful works of God. Okay, bookmark that. Um, and let me just say this to you. I'm going to talk about speaking in tongues. And I know that speaking in tongues really freaks some people out. So I want to say this. First of all, and I'm almost done. This won't take me long. First of all, tongues is totally normal. It is 100% biblical, and it is 100% totally normal, and it is 100% should be operating in your life. Okay? Now, second thing about it is that there are different kinds of tongues, which also trips everybody out. Because when, when we look at Acts chapter 2, because people will say, oh, you tongue talkers, you don't got it. Because when Acts chapter 2, they were speaking in other languages, and that's what tongues meant. That's totally true. Because in verse 11, it says, we hear them speaking in our own languages. They can't speak those languages, but we hear them speaking those languages and telling us about God. Now, how cool is that? I mean, I've heard a lot of stories about that, but it's never happened to me. I sure hope it does someday. You're just wandering along, and you start speaking in French, and then some French person goes, hey, you just told me about Jesus. I want to get saved. I'm down with that. It's never happened to me, but I know other people that says it has. I don't know if any of you guys know Jack Hayford. I remember reading a story about him one time being on a plane. He was on an airplane, and God told him to speak in tongues to the guy that was next to him. I'm not down with that. We want the miracle, but we don't want the risk. So anyway, he told this story how he was sitting on a plane, and, and uh, I, I, I'm sure it's Jack Hayford, but he's sitting on a plane, and God tells him to speak in tongues to this guy. And he's like, no way, God, I can't do that. That's ridiculous. Because he's thinking of tongues like we sing tongues or whatever. And he argues and argues and argues. And then in a conversation, he found out this guy was Native American. And so he's like, okay, here's my out. He's like, one time I learned some words, and I think they're Native American. Can you tell me if you understand them? No kidding. He told this story. So he said he started praying over this guy in tongues, and the guy, like, tripped out. 
And he's like, that, that is the language of my tribe, and you're just telling me all about God. Now, that's never happened to me, but I've heard enough people say it. And I know it's true, even if they didn't say it, I know it's true because it just happened here in Acts chapter 2. Right? Well, God doesn't do that kind of anything anymore. Why not? Where is our adventure, church? Where is our adventure? We're boring. We're boring Christians very often. We, we don't want to take a risk. We don't want to step out there and believe God for, like, really big things. I'm not telling you to go out and speak to everybody in tongues unless God tells you to. Don't do that because you'll probably look dumb. But if he tells you to, do it because the risk brings big rewards. But you don't have to speak in other tongues to be empowered by God. Okay? So I want you to notice there in Acts chapter 2, they're speaking in tongues and they're prophesying in different languages. But there are different kinds of tongues. This is the one I want to talk about today to be a witness. That we're going to talk about the sharing and the praying next week. But I want to hit you real quickly with three reasons tongues are so controversial and, and everybody freaks out about them in the church. And I really am almost done. There's, there's probably like many, many reasons why people don't like tongues. Okay, But I feel like there's three main ones. And the first one is this, theological misinterpretation. Because you have many, many believers, and they're saved and they're on their way to heaven, and I, I'm not going to be in division with them or any of that kind of stuff because Jesus is the way to heaven is the most important thing. But there's theological misinterpretation because people will say, well, that was for then, but it's not for now. And they'll start, as I said last week, they'll start laying out a litany of verses that show us that God only is going to empower the first generation, and then after that we're kind of on our own, and hopefully the Holy Spirit does something in us. There, there are some that go so far to that God doesn't work thing that it's almost to the point where you might as well not even witness to anybody because God's probably not going to save him anyway. And if he's going to save him, he's going to save him. If he's not, he's going to not. And we don't have any power to do anything anyway, so what's the point? And that's, that's a massive misinterpretation of Scripture. Because, because nowhere in the scripture does it say that those things are going to end. In fact, in, in the promise of the Father from the book of Joel, he says that what follows, oh man, I hope somebody will get this today. What follows the pouring out of spirit on all flesh is that the sun turns dark and the moon goes in the sky and everything blows up and all is crazy and then the Son of God comes back. So what does that tell me? It tells me that the pouring out of the Spirit is something that's going to be going on all the way up until Jesus comes back at the end of the tribulation. Anybody? Well, no, those were done in the first century. What do you do with Joel chapter 2? And in those days, the sun will turn to darkness, and then you will see the coming of the Son of Man. What do you do with that? If this all went away, sorry, I get amped up here. So there's theological misinterpretation. So when people create a theology around their experience, instead of forcing their experience into the theology that's correct, we say, I don't want to, I don't want to have to pursue, I don't have to go out. It's easier to just say I'm saved and on my way to heaven, and I don't have to really do anything. God says, no, I want you to seek me. I want you to come after me. I want you to pursue me. At prayer Thursday, Jennifer was talking about the woman with the issue of blood and how she pursued Jesus through the crowd, crawling probably on her hands and knees to touch the hem of his garment that she would be healed. And about the relentless pursuit 
that God wants us to have after him. In the Psalms, it says, my soul follows hard after you. Not after tongues. Not after prophecy. Not after manifestations, but after you, God. And whatever comes with pursuing you, I want. Amen? And so there's misinterpretation. They'll say that all went away. And so then people get confused because when I stand up and say it has not gone away, they say, yeah, but Pastor Jojo said that it went away. Which of you should I believe? And I would say to you, don't listen to me and don't listen to Pastor Jojo. Open the Bible and read it for yourself. What does it say? Second one is fear because tongues are not very tidy, intellectual, or logical. I'm very comfortable with speaking in tongues now, but when I was seven, eight years old, I remember one very specific time. I was sitting in the back row at the North Bend Church, gold pews, if anybody was around back then, back seat where we always sat, far back corner. I'm not paying attention like I never paid attention in church. And one of the ladies stood up and gave a message in tongues, and I just about wet my pants. I know that's crude and rude, but that's the truth. It scared me so bad, I didn't know what the heck was going on. Because to me, it sounded like she just got up and started yelling. And I'm just like, whatever I'm doing back there, I was like, shaboom. I'm looking at my mom and dad, and my mom and dad are kind of like just sitting there. I'm like, I must be okay. But I'm this weird because it's not tidy. When someone is praying in tongues, I've heard certain people pray. When they pray in tongues, it is the most weird sounding. And then people go, that's the devil. Okay, be careful not to blaspheme the Holy Spirit. Be very, very careful. Because the thing, the only thing that we can figure out really truly about blasphemy of the Holy Spirit is that the works of God were being attributed to the devil. Because when Jesus was casting out the devil, the religious people said he does this by the power of Beelzebub. And Jesus said in that context that the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit would not be forgiven. So you got to be very careful about saying that this is the devil when it very clearly is in the Scripture. And so I, I remember then all of a sudden I start growing up a little bit and I understand what this means. And then all of a sudden I, I realize someone would give a message in tongues and then somebody else would stand up and they start saying words. Whoa. They were interpreting that. Then now I hear other people and they're just praying. Nobody's interpreting. They're just praying. It's not very tidy. If you're a logical mind doesn't make any sense you're just gibberishing right and so we say i'm going to shy away from that because i don't want to look weird i don't want to be perceived as weird listen if you're part of this church you're already perceived as weird i don't know if you know that but you're perceived as weird if you're part of this church so you might as well just go for it you're all laughing like i'm joking we are that church so it's fear. And then the third one is the faith based on experience and not the scripture. I, I'm going to live my life based on what have I, I have experienced. And no matter what the scripture says, I'm going to say that this is what is because this is my experience. None of those three things are good. So I need to hurry now. So watch this. The scriptural pattern is that when the Holy Spirit fell, those filled spoken tongues and with power and authority, they witnessed to God's greatness. Fast forward 25 to 35 years, Acts chapter 10. 
I'm way behind on time here, so let me just... Acts chapter 10, verse 44. While Peter was still speaking these words, I'm going to read this, and I'm going to ask you... I'm not telling you to speak in tongues. I'm just asking you how they knew they were filled with the Holy Spirit when I'm done with this, okay? While Peter was still speaking these words, the Holy Spirit fell upon all those who heard the word. And those of the circumcision who believed were astonished. Those are Jews, by the way, if you don't know. And those of the circumcision who believed were astonished, as many as came with Peter, because the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out on the Gentiles also, for they heard them speak with tongues and magnify God. Acts chapter 19, Paul comes to Ephesus. He finds some, uh, some believers there. He talks to them. We shared that last week. In verse 6, he says, When Paul laid hands on them, the Holy Spirit came upon them. They spoke with tongues, and they prophesied. Now the men were about 12 in all. So the book of Acts is supposed to be the handbook for the church. Okay? I'm coming to my big point here, and then we're going to pray. The book of Acts is like the handbook. Here's what the church is supposed to look like. Acts 2. They continue steadfastly in the, uh, anybody, anybody? Excellent. That's one of our verses. The apostles' doctrine and fellowship of the breaking bread and in prayers. That's the handbook. And I want you to notice in the handbook of the church, whenever we see the Holy Spirit falling, we see a common thing that happens. Fire? No. Wind? No. Tongues? Prophecy. Tongues and a prophetic utterance, which again could either be a foretelling or a forthtelling. Those things are common every time the Holy Spirit fell. In fact, in Acts chapter 10 there, it says, how did they know that they were filled with the Holy Spirit? We know they're filled with the Holy Spirit because they spoke in other tongues and they prophesied. That was their evidence. Right? That's why in the Church of God it says the initial evidence of the baptism in the Holy Spirit is that you will speak in tongues. But again, I want to say, don't pursue tongues. Just go after God. Because when people are like pursuing tongues, then they're like, did I get it? Did I get it? I didn't, I didn't babble. I didn't say anything. I don't know if I got it. I don't know what to do. And then you get all confused, and then a wall goes up between you and God, and you don't get anything. Just seek God. Jesus, you said you'd fill me with the Holy Spirit, so I'm just going to seek you. I'm just going to seek you until I'm filled with the Holy Spirit. I don't know, what, I don't know when it's going to come. I don't know how it's going to come, but I'm just going to seek you until you move in my life. Because I want you. Amen? But what you see is there, they spoke in other tongues. Now, here's, here's where all this wraps up for today. Is that, uh, and this is in your notes, uh, when the early believers were filled with the Holy Spirit, it was for the purpose of proclaiming the gospel. Now, you may, may say, you just said it was tongues and prophecy. How is that? This, this is the witness. Because when the Holy Spirit fell and they began to speak in other languages, they weren't speaking about what was going on at the temple. They weren't speaking about what was going to be going on in the next Olympic Games. They were not talking about the next the political move or the next cultural move. When the Holy Spirit fell, I hope you guys get this because this is the big point of the whole thing for today. When the Holy Spirit fell, they weren't just talking randomly in other languages. They were pre preaching the gospel. They were speaking the truths of God. They were breaking down the scripture. They were saying, come after Jesus. And they didn't even know that they were saying that, but they were saying that. And that was the fulfillment of what Jesus said. You will be my witnesses. 
Because people say, well, that wasn't like the babbling tongues like you guys got. We're going to get to that next week. It's not babbling. There's different kinds of tongues. But this first foremost tongues is that God wants to use our tongue to preach the gospel. Well, I, I can't speak any other language. Well, they couldn't either, but that doesn't matter. God wants to empower your tongue to speak his words. That's all we need to submit to. Right? Lord, I am, I'm pursuing you, and I just want to be faithful to you, and I just want to speak your words. I, I love in, in the book of Exodus. I'm, I'm, I'm done here. See? I'm done. In the book of Exodus, when, he, when he's calling Moses out of the burning bush, and I fully realize that's a different situation than, than filled with the Holy Spirit. But there's a concept there that I love is that Moses is going, I can't speak for you. I, I, have, I don't have a good mouth to speak. And I love that in there God says, I will be with your mouth. Because that's a weird, that's a weird statement. He didn't, he didn't say, I'll be with you. I mean, he did. But he said, I'll be with your mouth. Why was that so important? Because God didn't care about how Moses walked or how he looked. Didn't care about where he was or where he came from or what his past experience was. He didn't care about any of that stuff. He wanted to use his tongue to proclaim the words of God. And he said, I will be with your tongue. And so we have to say, God, I want you to use my tongue to speak your words. I want to be a witness. They spoke in other languages. When the Holy Spirit fell on the book of Acts. But we don't have to speak in other languages for God to use our tongue. You can speak in tongues. Now, next week I'm going to get to a different thing, so don't shout me down. You can speak in tongues simply by opening your mouth and speaking the word of God to somebody because that is the witness that he wants us to be, which is why he has empowered us. Now, the cool thing about the baptism of the Holy Spirit is you can say, well, I could do that anyway. Why would I need the empowering of the Holy Spirit? Why would I need it? I could use my tongue to say verses even if I wasn't empowered with the Holy Spirit. That's true. But then that will just fall on dead ears. Because you're not trying to speak words to people that are like ready to receive it all the time. You're speaking to people whose, who's, what's the word I'm looking for? Posture may not be to receive those words. I don't want to hear anything about that. But when you're empowered with the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit begins to work on them so that when you walk up and you speak, your words come out not with just words that fall on the floor, but they come out with power, and they hit the mark. Amen? So if God someday chooses to cause you to speak in Spanish or French or German or whatever to somebody, and you get blown away by that and go, wow, that's amazing. That is amazing, but you can do that with the language you speak as well. Just give your tongue to him. Okay? He wants you to be a witness, and that is the reason that he wants to empower you. It's not for you. It's not for you. It's another reason people have a hard time accepting because it's like, oh, I don't deserve this. I don't, I don't know, whatever. It's, listen, no, you don't deserve it. It's not for you. It's so that God can use you to reach somebody else. You're already in the fold. He wants other sheep to come in. 
and he wants you to bring them in. So we need to stop saying, I'm not worthy, or God couldn't do that in me, or, or, or that's something that's beyond me, I don't, I don't understand it. You need to stop all of that, because it's not for you. You say, God, I want to be a witness. I want you, and I want you in me. And he will empower you if you will seek him. Amen? Next week, I want to, that, that's the empowered to share. Let him use your tongue. Seek God. Get filled with the Holy Spirit. Let me say this this last way. Try this. Just experiment with this. Don't try to go out and be a witness. Don't, don't try to go out and be a witness. Just seek God. Worship is going to follow you everywhere you go. So don't run out there, try to be a witness. Get a sandwich board that says repent, turn or burn, you're going to go to hell and just stand on the sidewalk and think you're being a witness. Don't try to do that. Just get so filled up with God and then just go out and live your life. And watch what God will do. And I want you to know that that's literally what he wants you to do. Get filled up and then go pour out. And then come back and get filled up and then go pour out. And come back and get filled up, go pour out. Amen? It's a never-ending stream. It's a never-ending stream if you want it to be. So my question is, how much time are you spending pursuing him day to day? Because morning worship on Sunday is not going to carry you through. Even if you come on Wednesday or Thursday, it's not going to carry you through. It's got to be a daily, daily. Amen? Next week, we're going to talk about empowered to hear and empowered for prayer, which is going to be a little different aspect of tongues. But I wanted to get this out today. He wants us to be witnesses, but he wants us to be natural witnesses. Our actions and our words change people's lives. Because it's the Holy Spirit in us. Amen. Father, thank you for today. Thank you for your word. Thank you for the Holy Spirit. I just pray, Father, that you would raise up a bunch of passionate seekers of you. That, that in this body, Lord, that we would gain a greater passion for prayer. That we would gain a greater passion for worship. A greater passion for your presence. A greater passion for your word. And that in all of that, you would fill us up so deeply, Lord, that we could not help but just spill out on everybody that's around us. That we would spill out all over this community. And, and Lord, I'm holding, on, I'm holding on to the belief, Lord, that a county can be transformed for you and for your glory. I know that you can do it. Your word says it. Those who have turned the world upside down have now come here too. And I pray that you would use us that we would get so filled up with you that we would spill out all over this county and that we would see a transformation. I thank you for that today, Lord. Put that passion in our hearts. I pray, Father, we would not walk out and then just go back to our normal business. But, Lord, that we would carve out time for prayer, that we carve out time for your word. Carve out time for worship, and worship is not in the songs or the singing. Worship is in many different things, and I pray that you would make us passionate worshipers of you so that you could spill out of us. And they would say of us, those who have turned the world upside down are here too. And we thank you for that today. 
Father, as we're leaving today, I just pray your blessing on every person in here, that you bless them and keep them. Cause your face to shine on them. Lift up your countenance upon them. Give them favor. Give them peace. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. God bless you guys. I love you.